The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Dear listener, please close your eyes for this movie theater meditation brought to you by Fantango. Breathe in. Smell the fresh popcorn. Now exhale. <sighs> Open your eyes and proceed to the best seats in the house you reserved on Fandango. Recline. Now, download the free Fandango app for movie times, tickets, and seats at your favorite theaters. Fandango, it's your ticket to the movies. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. People can't get enough live football, even when it's not football that counts. The Jets-Browns preseason game at the Pro Football Hall of Fame averaged 6.3 million viewers on NBC. Most watched Pro Football Hall of Fame game since 2018 and more than the 2023 NBA playoffs. Poor basketball. More than the 2023 Stanley Cup final, which doesn't surprise me. 2022 Field of Dreams game, which created all sorts of critical acclaim, but not the eyeballs that would match... A game from Canton with maybe 20,000 people in the stands and a bunch of guys playing that aren't stars still average 6.3 million viewers for the full three hours. That's just not peak audience. That's 6.3 million viewers on average per minute for the entirety of the three hours of the Hall of Fame game. It really is amazing, and it underscores that we can't get enough football and that nothing delivers a live audience and gathers humans to watch the same thing at the same time in this day and age with all the disintermediation as the experts in the TV business call it with all the different choices and all the different things you can watch whenever you want, however you want, wherever you want. We gather together to watch pro football, even when the pro football game is as meaningless as it can be, Chris. No, it's just it's it's that big in our culture right now. It doesn't even matter that it's okay, not proven commodities. We've seen guys like Dorian Thompson Robinson, you know, in our living room for the last three or four years. And hey, let's see what he looks like when he's quarterback in the Browns. You know, there's the Zach Wilson stuff. Everybody want to tune in to see that. What's he going to look like now that he's been behind Aaron Rodgers? You know, I, I think there's a, a lot of things that come into play, but we know football is king. And 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 you know, the 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 Hall of Fame I think did a great job, and you know. Finding the right theme here with Joe Klecko and Darrell Revis. And then, of course, you know, Aaron Rodgers being on the Jets. That was the perfect storm. Joe Thomas and the Browns, you know. So I think there was maybe a little more excitement about the weekend altogether than maybe years past. I am one, Mike, too, that I think I said this to you last week on Thursday. I think the Browns should have to play in that game every year. 
That just should be their game. It should be their thing. I think it adds to the excitement and the viewing pleasure too. I think one of the things that was cool about it, being there and even watching on TV, the crowd seemed more into it and the stadium seemed more densely filled than years past because it was the Browns. So uh, either way, it was cool. And here we go, football dominating the TV for the rest of 2023. It's, it's a tough assignment, though, to give it to just one team because then that me- means yeah. that team has four preseason games every year and everybody else has three. And, you know, some teams want that extra assignment as they're breaking in a new offense. Exactly. As they're yeah. breaking in a new coaching staff, as they're laying the foundation for what they're going to do. It's just live reps that they can put these guys through and better, exactly. better evaluate right. and better prepare for what's coming. I remember the Saints in 2012 – wanted the Hall of Fame game. They wanted to have that fifth preseason game because they were going to have Sean Payton on the sideline. and They needed to get ready for what the team was going to look like that year without Payton because of the Bounty Gate suspension. So uh, I, I, I like the idea that they tie it in to the class, and maybe that's one of the benefits of having nine members of the class. It makes it easier to come up with potential matches for the two teams. Yeah, true. Every team is represented in the Hall of Fame class. You can pretty much pick whoever you want. All right. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater bouncing around the National Football League. He's been with the Vikings. He was with the Saints. Wait, was he with the Jets and then traded to the Saints? Is that what happened? That's what happened. He was with. Yeah, I think you're right. He signed with the. (laughs) Yeah, he signed with the Jets, got traded to the Saints. He's been with the Broncos. He's been with the Panthers. He's been with the Dolphins most recently. Boy, he'd be a great cheat code for one of these grid games. Yeah, seriously. He joins the Detroit Lions. And this one surprised me. It just tells me they expect to have Hendon Hooker on redshirt this year. Right. They're not going to risk it with him at all. That Bridgewater will be developed into the backup for Jared Goff and that Hendon Hooker likely will not play much, if at all, as he continues to recover from the torn ACL he suffered during the 2022 college football season, Chris. No, I, I, you know, I, I think you're saying it right, too, Mike. And we've had these conversations before, right, with teams, the Detroit Lions, High expectations, big year for the organization, right? They're talked about as what? The, the the fourth favorite in the NFC to go to the Super Bowl or something around that range as far as betting lines are concerned. And what were they going to do, Mike, right? They weren't exactly protecting their investment. If Jared Goff got hurt, what were we going to do? Bring Nate Sudfeld in and go, oh, he'll, he'll hold down the fort? All 188 career passing yards from Nate Sudfeld, who's been in and out of the league. This is one of the things that I always questioned about Detroit. I was always going, man, are they really going to ride with this quarterback crew right here? I know Hendon Hooker has a chance to be the future, but we knew he wasn't ready to go early on in the year. Nor would I think a team, Dan Campbell coming from Sean Payton and the Bill Parcells school of coaching and all that, where they'd go, hey, guy that's, you know, never played NFL football and didn't get to practice much in training camp. Here's the keys to the organization. Can you take us down the stretch? So this was a much needed move. I think it was very smart. And now they got a guy that, you know, like we always say, Mike, if Goff goes down, the offense doesn't have to drastically change. He's played. He's been there. He's done that. So I think that was a smart move by them, you know, upgrading that position. One of the knocks on Bridgewater last year, the injuries to Tua Tonga-Vailoa, the concussions he suffered when Bridgewater played, he didn't exactly hold up either. Now, remember, he got removed from that game against the Jets, I think it was. Yes. Right after the Tua concussion 
when they were all of a sudden yeah, very way too careful reformulated the language for removing a guy from the field of play the policy was rewritten it's bringing back a bunch of like muddled up memories of just a pretty stressful time to try to navigate what the NFL was trying to do but they they hit the button and they got him out of the game when maybe he shouldn't have. Wasn't the word a taxia? Wasn't that the new word that Something, got yes, worked that's into that's the lexicon? Right. Yeah, where yeah, where it used to be gross motor instability. But they spotted something in Teddy Bridgewater after he hit his head on the turf that I don't think anybody else spotted. The irony was it was two weeks after nobody spotted, at least nobody in a position of power or influence spotted that Tua was uh, wobbly like he had a concussion. Um, but but that knocked Bridgewater out of a game. But then he had other injuries, and he just wasn't a reliable number two behind Tua Tagovailoa. That was one of your criticisms. You need a backup who's going to come in and not instantly get injured and then yield to the third stringer. Yeah, that, that's right. You know, it's 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 uh, that was always a little peculiar to me, right? The funny thing I said last year was, you know, you can't have Mr. Glass back, back, backing up Mr. Glass, right? Uh, we'll see. Goff has not been a guy that has you know been injured much in his career. He's pretty tough. He takes some hits. We'll see. All right. Uh, Bridgewater. Yeah, he's, you know, getting up there in age and, and certainly, you know, a little beat up and frail. Yeah, he is. But I think either way, for what was available out there, he fits that, hey, good, solid backup. We can trust him with the offense. And if he's got to be the quarterback for two or three games, you know, he should be able to hold down the fort. And I think that's a smart thing to do to protect the investment of your football team uh, where we all think that Detroit's going to be highly competitive in the NFC this year. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I think Teddy Bridgewater is not a guy at this point in his career that would be regarded as a potential starter. Right. He is kind of what he is, and there's nothing wrong with that. You can make decent money as a backup quarterback in the NFL, and that's what he's been doing. Now, he he's not that far removed from being a starter, though. That's what's amazing to me. He was the starter in Carolina. He signed that three-year, $60 million contract that had an out after one year, and they traded him, and I think they paid some of the guaranteed money. He went to Denver, and he won the competition with Drew Locke in sure. 2021. That seems like a long time ago. Right. It really wasn't. Yep. And then last year is when he became backup, you know, accepting his spot. But remember when they signed him? Remember he said all that vague stuff yeah. that made it look like there was really a competition when there wasn't? Yeah. And I think that Mike McDaniel, the coach of the Dolphins, was a little irritated by it. But I think now Teddy Bridgewater has finally kind of accepted his role. That's one of the hurdles to becoming a backup quarterback. It's why Carson Wentz is unemployed, one of the reasons I think. It's why Cam Newton could never get a job as a backup. You need a backup who understands he's the backup. And I think Teddy Bridgewater has finally gotten to the point where he understands what his role is. And, you know, he's only 30. He could do it for another seven, eight years sure. where he makes NFL backup quarterback money and doesn't play very much. That's right. You know, it is. It's it's a great life. He 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 certainly can do it. He's played enough already to, you know, be pretty experienced and do the things you need at the quarterback position, right? But I think this – I think the league has realized that, uh, yeah, he's not a starter. I think you – know, and, and, and good for him, to your point – and realizing, hey, this is how I am viewed, and let's just continue to go on with, with this type of life. And, hey, maybe I get a chance again to where I get to play a bunch, and I do play great, and I get to become a starter somewhere you know, once again. But I think what happened between you know, New Orleans, Carolina, and Denver is everybody saw, hey, a guy that's dependable and can play the position. 
but not might not take your team over the top or you know do things that we need to be done to win the football game right that was my always my thing with Teddy Bridgewater you know he won't lose you the football game but he ain't going to win it for you either and that doesn't necessarily translate to going to the playoffs in the NFL i think he's the perfect backup and uh, hopefully he'll he'll embrace that role what's amazing is we are coming up on the seven-year anniversary of that catastrophic knee injury he suffered in a training camp practice. I still think like with Deshaun Watson, remember when Deshaun Watson, who had a non-contact ACL tear in practice as a rookie in 2017, he told us at one of the Super Bowls after that, he thinks he injured the knee the prior Sunday. I think Bridgewater suffered the knee injury against the Chargers in the first preseason game ever played at U.S. Bank Stadium, and then it just went in that practice. But look at the long road, and look at how it turned his career upside down. But he's still persevering. He's still playing the game that he loves. And again, backup quarterbacks. I remember when Randall Cunningham just kind of accepted the fact, yeah, I'll take 3 or $4 million to stand here on the sideline with a clipboard. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? What else is going to pay you that kind of money in this day and age, right? You've still got skills. You're still part of the team. You bring something to the table, especially if you accept your role, and you say, I'm going to do everything I can to make the starter better. That's how you make yourself marketable to other teams. Oh, well, we got, hey, this guy's a great, oh, he's great for the starter. All the starters rave about him. They love him. They love having him around. They love how he pushes, but he's not trying to take over. He's not a threat, but he's a a competitor. It's the right balance that we're looking for. And I think Bridgewater, you know, he'll have a little bit of a cottage industry as a backup now. And this is his first chance in Detroit to to show it. And if Goff gets injured, in he comes. In he comes. That's right. Good move for him, good move for the Lions. I'm kind of surprised it took as long as it did. Yeah, it it made sense all along. Right, that's what I was saying. This is one that was glaring to me. We're like, man, wow, they must see something in Nate Sudfeld or feel more comfortable than I do. That's for sure. But, yeah, you're right. He's embraced it, and that's that's, it is a great – it's, it, how else can you replace it? Backup quarterback in the NFL, like you said, you're still getting money. You know, you're getting to do something you love, throw footballs, be at practice, be around the guys, the adrenaline of running out in the stadium. All of that's awesome. But yeah, at some point, you got to embrace that new role, role of being a premier backup and being, yeah, the guy that helps the locker room, helps the offense, helps the quarterback. I could say to me personally, I think that's I had two different stints with the Tennessee Titans. I think that's what they liked about me after I got injured. Kerry Collins liked me. He knew I was going to help him out, give him a few inklings, do some work, study film, throw some ideas out to the offensive coordinator. He knew I was going to compete and talk crap with him at practice, but never infringe on a, hey, Kerry, you're the man. You're the quarterback. We know that, blah, 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 and I'll go back to holding the clipboard here for you on Sunday. And there's there's a role for that in the team. That's very necessary for the life lo- lifeline of the team. And uh, Teddy Teddy can bring that. You had more than two stints with the Titans, though. I remember at one point you were the guy that they would cut on Saturday and call someone up from the practice squad, and then they'd resign you on Monday. Yeah, you yeah. Officially, that? you're right. That was that first year where you know Jeff, Jeff Fisher did me a solid. He really did. He recognized. I think he liked me coming out in the draft. I played him in the preseason before I had got hurt and lost my spleen. I think he recognized my talent. He recognized that I was a gym rat, and he bought me a year to get healthy, let alone they had a problem at the quarterback situation, right? That was the year Vince Young had a lot of drama and stuff, and, you know, Kerry, was, of course, was an older quarterback, so I was kind of that roster guy there 
that yeah, cut them, make room for this guy. And then towards the end of the year, I started to be on the roster, you know, game in and game out. But uh, yeah, I was that guy. Well, because right. you would have had to pass through waivers. Yeah. You would have had to pass through waivers. That's the thing. There were people like with other teams who are sticklers for the rules that were pissed off because oh, Jeff Fisher is playing the 54 man roster trick. He's cutting <laughs> Sims every Friday. Right. And Sims is coming back on Monday. Sims isn't exercising his rights as a free agent to go look for another team. Yeah. He knows he'll get him back on Monday and then he'll cut him the next Friday. And yeah, the the game ends with the trade deadline. That's when if they had tried it after the trade deadline, somebody could have claimed your contract on waivers and you would have gone from Tennessee to wherever in an instant. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's how it went. But but I knew one, I wasn't totally healthy and two, I was with a guy that was helping me get there and I was enjoying the ride. You know, it was refreshing in that year, the 2008 Titans. We were the best team in football. We started out 10-0, and 0, and I truly believe we were the best team. But as you know, in the NFL, you make some mistakes in the playoffs or a big moment, especially against Ray Lewis and company. Uh, yeah, that was big trouble for us, and we blew a game in the divisional round that year where we kind of outplayed the Ravens but made some, some crucial mistakes, and we went home a little early. Especially when the play clock goes to zero and it takes the officials about five uh, seconds. That to was realize. that was one of those. Clock. You're right. Remember Went that zero. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I remember it well. I remember watching that game. Ravens. Chris Johnson. That was uh, one of his rookie year yep. with the the Titans. Exactly. Right. I mean, the Titans were loaded that year. Yeah. Loaded. Loaded. Yeah. Yes. That was that was the that was the desecration of the terrible towel. It That's was. what caused it all. Right. Lendale White. And uh, who else was in on that? Keith Bullock? Were Keith they the Bullock. It was those two. Yeah, out? those two. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They would have been the ones to do it. They were always leading, you know, some energy in the locker room, some talk there. And, uh, yeah, they were kind of the some of the emotional leaders we had on that football team. Because if I co- recall correctly, we need to take a break, but there was a game in, like, late December between the Steelers and the Titans that was determining the number For home field. Right. I think yeah. that – Exactly yeah. right. You're right. I think it was week 15. It was the second to last se- uh, game of the year – they came into town, and uh, we, we put it on them pretty good that day. Kerry played great. The D played great. And we won, I think, like 33-14 to 14 to set, up, set us up to be the number one seed. And, of course, you know, uh, AFC Championship yep. game was Ravens-Steelers. And so that started their, their little rivalry there. And Steelers head to the Super Bowl, and they play the Cardinals. And that was the first Super Bowl I ever personally attended. Unbelievable. All kind of ties together. 15 freaking years later. Okay, let's take a break. When we return, the Chiefs, the Chiefs are uttering one of the phrases that has come to be a precursor to a trade. Are they really thinking about trading, Chris Jones? I don't think so, but they used the phrase. We'll tell you what it was, and we'll tell you what else GM Brett Veach had to say right after this on PFT Live. That is not Adrian Peterson. That is definitely not Adrian Peterson. That is Nikhil Harry. First round pick of the Patriots in 2019 who has found his way to Minnesota. Reportedly, he is going to wear number 28. I don't know about this one, Minnesota Vikings. Now, look, I'm old enough to remember that when they gave Adrian Peterson 28, I thought, hey, man, that's Rashad, uh, Ahmad Rashad's number. But, uh, yeah, I, Adrian Peterson did much more with the Vikings than Ahmad Rashad did. I'm surprised they're reissuing it. I'll believe it when I see it, Chris. It just doesn't look right to me to see anyone except Adrian Peterson wearing that number. I, I mean, I, 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 I'm hoping this report's not even true. Like, what are you, what are you thinking, right? I mean, I know Nikhil Harry's a good guy, a good dude, right? But, like, some awareness a little bit there. 
And I'm, I mean, it is shocking too that the Vikings would even make it available. Uh, you, you could argue that Adrian Peterson's the greatest player in the history of the organization, right? Up there with Randy Moss and whoever else you want to throw in there. You know, I, I think Adrian Peterson's one of the five greatest running backs in the history of the game, right? I mean, come on. Like, it's like going to New England almost and being like, hey, I'll wear number 12. I'll wear number 12. This is like one of those where you'd like players to have awareness to go, well, no, don't, don't do that. Just, just stay away. Pick another number. Well. <laughs> But it's the team, yeah, it's the team that controls the yeah. numbers. It's the team that issues the numbers, so they're ultimately to blame. I remember when Robert Smith was drafted in 93 and they gave him 44, and Chuck Foreman was like, hey, man, what the hell? Adrian Peter, even though I love Chuck Foreman and I was a huge Chuck Foreman fan when I was a kid, Adrian Peterson was a more impactful running back for the Vikings than Chuck Foreman was, even though Foreman went to some Super Bowls. But I remember he was kind of like, what the hell is this, number 44? And they ended up, Leroy Horde wore 44 for the Vikings. I mean, that that right. jersey has not been retired by the Vikings. And you know how I am about retired jerseys. Look, I mean, you can only retire so many before you run out. And that's one of the reasons why they've now expanded the numbers so receivers can wear a, a jersey in the 20s and we see all sorts of strange single digits now that we're still getting used to because they need enough numbers for all the players all right uh the vikings were the team that first gave us the well-known nfl phrase we have no intent to trade percy harvin of course they traded percy harvin we've heard it from others we heard it from pete carroll a couple of years ago we have no intent to trade russell wilson and they trade russell wilson so it got my attention when I saw that Brett Veach, the GM of the Chiefs, told the Kansas City Star yesterday, we have no intention to trade, hold out defensive tackle, Chris Jones. Although I think for the first time it's ever been uttered in a way that wasn't yeah. meant. Yeah. It is meant right. this time. They <laughs> yeah. aren't trading Chris Jones. Okay, good, good. I'm glad we're on the same page there, too, because uh, uh, agreed. You know, one, he's... He's kind of part of the three mus. He's the three musketeers. I mean, you know, Mahomes, Kelsey, and Chris Jones are the Chiefs' dynasty. They are, and he's certainly the guy that's been holding the fort down on the defensive side of the ball. He's been one of the three best at his position here for a long time. Last year was the first year that I think we both agree it was the first year we uttered best defensive tackle in football, not Aaron Donald, Chris Jones. I mean, that was the first year in, in Aaron Donald's career, at least after his rookie year, that we've said that. Uh, it, the Chiefs, we know, Mike, right? They don't want to and, – and to their credit, you know, like with Tyree Kill, they don't want to give big money to guys that are dancing around 33rd contract. For the most part, that's a, a safe formula to have. But here's one where there's no Mahomes to cover the hole for no Tyree Kill. Here's one where it's just plain and simple. One, it's it's – you know, not a position of great strength for their football team. You don't look at that part of the roster and go, whoa, they're so deep. They'll be able to hold down the fort without Chris Jones. No, certainly not. And he's a guy that he doesn't look like he's falling off planet Earth anytime soon with his physical ability and his ability to dominate in the game there. So I'm with you in that they're not trading him, and this is one they're going to break their own rule to try to find, finagle, figure out some more money they can throw Chris Jones' way. And I think that Veach may have been a little too candid with one specific topic. He said this, when we made the move with Tyreek and they traded Hill when Hill wanted a massive contract, one of the determining factors was because there was an expected Chris Jones deal. And so to do Tyreek, there was a concern, would we be able to do Chris? So there was a moment of time 
it was before the draft that we hit the reset button. And we're like, you know, it's really hard to trade a player the magnitude of Tyreek Hill, but we're following it up with someone just as significant on the defensive side. So they traded Hill because we can't – basically, we can't pay both of these guys. Right. So we better trade Hill so we have the money to pay Chris Jones. So here we are. Here we are. So what are you going to pay him? He reportedly wants $30 million. I think he deserves to be closer to Aaron Donald than the cluster of $22.5 to $23.5 million guys that we saw this year. Jeffrey Simmons, Deron Payne, Dexter Lawrence, Quinnen Williams, I think, were the four. I may be missing one in there. But you got young defensive tackles, second contracts in that low to mid $20 million per year. And Chris Jones at $20 million per year saying, no, I don't want to just play, you know, I can get a little bit more than they got. I want to rival Aaron Donald, and I think that's why he's not there. And here's the key, and this came through from the story as well. They don't say it this way, but the message is, and I see this over and over again, and this is true of any negotiation in any setting, where you've eventually got to move to your bottom line. It's important to know what the deadline is, and it's important that both sides of a negotiation agree when the clock strikes 12 and the chariot turns into a pumpkin and it's time to go. Because if you move toward your best offer, your best position, prematurely, the ritual of negotiation means you get squeezed off of it. So it's about landing the plane. It's about the two sides coming together at the right time. So, Chris, I don't know what they think the right time is. I don't know what they think the deadline is. It can't be the day of the first game. It's got to be like, the start of the practice week for the first game. That would be the most obvious deadline when it's time to start your preparations for the Lions game that is a month from tonight. That's when you've got to get this deal done. Yeah, I mean, that would be the ultimate, you know, last last minute because then, you know, then we're getting into Chris Jones, who we know is a professional and a hell of a player and specimen and all that. But, man, you know, I'd want him in there at least to – you know, get him in football shape, have him hitting on all cylinders like we talk about, you know, for week one instead of getting to week one and just going, oh, okay, I feel like I'm pretty good. I'm pretty in, pretty much in football shape, right? And, of course, he's a great leader for their football team. They have a young defense. It's one of the youngest teams in football. That's what's amazing. So he's got, you know, that ability to rise, to make the group rise. Uh, I, I'm going to be interested to see where this, this contract, you know, shakes out Mike uh, it definitely with you and that he agree- he should be paid more than the the cluster of guys you mentioned you know to one up Aaron Donald I don't know about that I think you know as somewhere in the high 20s low 30s somewhere in there would make sense I mean Aaron Donald again we're talking about a great of all time greats here right and was probably a little underpaid in the last contract Aaron Donald arguably is the greatest non-quarterback in the NFL this century. The greatest football player that's not a quarterback this century. He's arguably, I mean, one of the greatest defensive players we've ever seen in the history of football. We've talked about it last week. I mean, he would be in that Deion Sanders upper room at the Hall of Fame, no doubt about it. So, you know, I, I don't know if he deserves to overtake him, but he at least deserves to be in the same ballpark with Aaron Donald, and I think that would be fair. I think Chris Jones, at the end of the day, is going to get a contract that will be widely reported as being north of $30 million, but not by much, thanks to a Fugazi final year sure. that pushes the total average above sure. 30 I think the real average is going to be south of 30 
But the, hey, everybody, look at this contract average is going to be north of 30. And, of course, that's all that will matter because all of the people who just, you know, give us the heads up five minutes before they're going to announce it anyway will be telling us it's north of 30 when in reality it isn't. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, Mike Vrabel may have found a way to have a little easier time in the preseason, all in the name of the greater good. We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. I told the team and you know everybody involved here at the organization, uh, but Terrell Williams will act as the head coach uh, for Chicago uh, starting on Friday. So I think this is a great opportunity uh, for him and for, for us and everybody involved. Mike Vrabel, coach of the Titans, taking a break during the preseason, going to hand the reins to defensive line coach Terrell Williams to serve as the head coach for the first preseason game. And this is brilliant because you never know when during the season the head coach might not be available. This year, for example, Sean McVay's wife is due to have a kid in late October. They got games against the Cowboys, the Steelers, the Packers in there. He's possibly going to have to hand the reins to a Raheem Morris without any real preparation. So why not do the preparation now in a game that doesn't count? Step back and let someone else be the head coach for that game. I'm amazed it's taken the NFL this long to figure it out. Well, I, I, I the the thing that I look at, yeah, I mean, great one, you know, in case, pull in, in case of emergency type of thing to get your team ready for that. But I also think this is a brilliant way to get people accustomed, get the NFL, get some people who are deserving to be NFL head coaches some of the minority people we talk about all the time, right? You know, especially our African-American coaches who get screwed over a lot of the times in these head coaching conversations or new jobs. Here, we get a guy to be front and center. Let's show you this guy can do it. He knows how to handle and manage a game, and also you give him the experience to do that as well. So there's a lot of positives there. That's next-level stuff by Mike Vrabel. I give him a lot of credit. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that there are many different benefits from it. And it's just something that it's a it's been out there. It's been something that anybody could have done, and it's just never been done before. Here's Terrell Williams on his opportunity that he'll get to serve as head coach for the preseason opener. Man, I mean, you know, I've I've worked hard just like the rest of the coaches and for Rabes to um to recognize that um was was great. And the truth is, whether you get a title or not, you still do your job, and nothing's really changed for me. I'm still a defensive line coach, and I still talk to all the players and try to help all of them. So um, nothing's really changed from that perspective. So, again, great move by the Titans, great move by Mike Vrabel. I really wonder what he's going to do for that three hours. What do you do? Well, you watch he, the game? I, I guess you watch the game. Yeah. He's still going to study the film. He'll be in the booth, right? I would think he'll be in the booth, booth right? Kind of watch and we'll take, you know, who knows? He'll probably go up there and evaluate the coaches in there and see if they're doing the right things, saying the right things, uh, knowing him. What would be the over-under on hot dogs consumed by Mike Vrabel while he's in the booth <laughs> monitoring a game that he's not coaching? Oh. Six and a half? Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think he could smash four down his big mouth and throat there and, and not even like take a breath. It'd be no problem. Right. So full game, you know, like there comes a point where you go as a man go, man, I could eat another three or four of those. I just, I need to stop. 
and I think he'd probably stop around four or five. Uh, that would be what I'd say. But Mike, uh, this is really, I, I, this is really cool thing to see. And and what we're seeing there too with Terrell Williams, it gives him an opportunity to get in front of the microphone and show, like, hey, look, I can command the audience. I can talk to guys. And he'll get a chance to do that probably after the game in the preseason and look like a head coach and hopefully instill confidence into some of the GMs and owners around the NFL that, hey, there's more guys out here that are capable of being a head coach in the NFL more than just your inner circle of oh, old football world guys and I knew this guy back in 1974 and he's a good guy and I'm just going to listen to what he says and only the people that I'm comfortable with around me. You know, this is going to break some barriers, and that's where I really like it. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, something that more and more of you are hooked on as I am. I play it every day, and we play it on you know multiple days per week right here. The crossover grid game. We'll do that next when this Tuesday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. For the world's greatest athletes... This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Go for the United States! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? In Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. Happy 61st birthday, Hall of Fame guard. Bruce Matthews, 61. I thought he was older than 61. I'm 58. You know what? 61 still sounds old, even though I'm three years away from it. <laughs> 51 sounds old, even though I'm seven years past it, for crying out loud. But there's Bruce Matthews, Hall of Famer. And yesterday was Lee Corso's 88th birthday, which gave wow. me the occasion to post one of the all-time great clips where he says, F it, although he didn't say F on live TV back in 2011. One of the best and funniest clips that I can recall. All right. We'll try to be the best and funniest we can be, although it isn't much of an occasion for levity. The crossover grid, the, the humor may come unintentionally. Here we go today. And as always, we've got three columns across the top, three along the bottom, horizontal and vertical. It creates a grid of nine. We try to find the player that fits the intersection. The goal is to have the lowest percentage possible because that gives you a higher score, and that's far more impressive than taking the lowest hanging fruit. So today, across the top, Bills, Chargers, and caught a touchdown pass in a Super Bowl. And then down the bottom, the Colts, the Packers, and played in the SEC, one of the conferences that still remains intact. Chris, I'll let you take whichever one you want. You take a square out of those nine and uh, 
Fill it up for me. I feel like I got like, all right, let's go Bills Colts. I got a good one, blast from the past, right, that came to me right away. Upper left. Yeah, upper left. Uh, it's Cornelius Bennett, right? The great number 97 Ooh. for the Buffalo Bills. I remember he finished the end of his career with the Indianapolis Colts. So that was one that came to mind. You cool with that one? You like that? I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. What three, do we got there? Three, What's the percentage? Three point nine. All right. Pretty strong. I. I would have gone Xavier Rhodes personally, former Vikings first rounder who has bounced around the NFL since then, played for the Colts and played for the Bills. I forgot the Bills uh, part next of it. One. Right, right. Next one, what about Green Bay me, Buffalo? I got another blast from the past, actually. Oh, I got a, I, I bet I know who you're thinking from the past, and I got a guy more recently. Who do you have? I was going to go with Don Beebe, right? I, yes. It's so crazy yes. that it's a, two Bills guys yeah. like that, you know, from that same era, but... But who were you going to go with? He already What's the put percentage? It in. What's the percentage there? What is? It? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to go Aaron Rodgers, BFF, Jake Kumaro. I have a feeling Kumaro would be a lower percentage than Don Beebe. Hey, hey, uh, you know, Berkey last week was a little too slow on the draw. Right. Now, now this he's week he's, he's, he's got there. the itchy he's, trigger finger. He's worried. The bosses told him yeah. he was too slow last week, so now he's just like, whatever name comes out of your mouth, we're putting it in there. <laughs> All right, let's move to the Colts-Chargers square because – the obvious recent quarterback is Philip Rivers. Don't put it in, Berkey. Don't put it. Don't put in Philip Rivers. What about John Unitas? I've been waiting to use John Unitas ever since this what? game came All along. Right, hold Joe on. Namath for Rams, Jets, and Unitas for Colts, Chargers. I thought maybe you what? told what the you crossover got? grid guy here about me and my life because I thought one that would be more fun. How about uh, good old uh, uh, Jimmy Harbaugh? You think Jimmy Harbaugh might work right there? Oh, oh, good oh. old Jim. I tell your dad I said hi. Johnny Unitas. Yeah, tell your dad I said hi. Uh, I forgot he played for the Chargers. I hope you're right. I'm pretty sure I and, am. Uh, <laughs> and here, here we go. Yeah. Now he's slowing down. Five percent, five percent for Jim Harbaugh. Let me finish that column. Colt who caught a touchdown in a Super Bowl, and I'm going to go back to the one that became relevant this weekend when Chuck Howley, the MVP of Super Bowl V, that the Cowboys lost in that game, which was won by Jim O'Brien with a field goal. He wore number 88 as the kicker with no time left. It would have gone to overtime. But for that make, John Mackey had a 75-yard touchdown catch. Hall of Fame tight end. Put in John Mackey, and let's see what percentage we get. I have a feeling most people out there aren't thinking of John Mackey, who did make it, did make it, Chris, to our Deion Sanders upper room. Oh, good. Well, good. Yes, he he should. He should make the upper room. He's like, you know, when you think about tight ends and great tight ends, he's the first one you think of that, that kind of started that conversation, or at least one of the first guys that comes to your name there. That's for sure. Um, all right. We want to go. I, I got another one for the Green Bay Chargers column there, right? That box. Lay there. it on me. All right. How about Jim McMahon? Jim McMahon, I know he played on both football Ooh. teams as well. You got anybody wow. else that you think's well better? Done. Yeah. Well done. All right. No, that's good. I was thinking like Brian Bulaga, Casey Hayward, more recent. I had forgotten McMahon had played on the Chargers. Very well done. Corey Lindsley also Berkey points out. Good, good. What was the percentage there? I can't see the percentage. I'm almost as old as Bruce Matthews. Okay. <laughs> Packers, Packers. Super Bowl catch. I want to go all the way back to the first Super Bowl before it was actually the Super Bowl. Technically, technically, this is going to be a wrong answer because it wasn't a Super Bowl at the time, but I think it's going to work. 
Max McGee, who had two of it's them. amazing, right? While he was either hungover or still drunk because he wasn't <laughs> supposed to play in the game. Max McGee, the star of the game for the Green Bay Packers, even though Bart Starr was the MVP. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there he is. What's the percentage there? It's got to be low. What is it? 5.7% for Max McGee. All right. All right, Johnny, Big 12. Uh, SEC. You we know you're Johnny Big 12. Uh, yeah, right. Let's go SEC. <laughs> Give us a Bills player from the SEC. All right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I know Cornelius Bennett would work again, which is odd, but you can't do double. Tredavious White is somebody I think of right off Tredavious the bat. Tredavious White. Low-hanging fruit. Who do, uh, who do, do you it. got? All right. You let's, got, okay. let's just let's, let's do Tredavious let's White. Let's hit it. I think because that's the guy I thought of as well. Yep. Uh, and uh, there 14%. he is. 14%. What's his percentage? Okay. It's a little higher than I'd like to be, but uh, okay. Okay. Uh, how about Chargers? Uh, how about Melvin Ingram, South Carolina? I, I like that. You got anybody else? I, I think that that's a good one. Good call. First by round you. pick. Yeah, could be could be a high percentage because he was a first round pick. But um, yeah, thirteen you know, people don't think of South Carolina is an SEC school. All right, last square before we complete the two. I did grid. think Odell, an SEC player who caught a touchdown in the Super Bowl. Odell, we were already talking about Odell. A.J. Brown from Mississippi, oh, he had one, one this right, year. Right. Right? But right. is the recency going to drive the percentage up? Mm. I don't know. Do you want? Who do you want to go? You thinking anybody else? else? Is there anybody else we're forgetting about that? that is, uh, you know, more like Heinz Ward, right? Didn't he have one? Oh, Heinz Ward. Right. Wait, did he catch one or he throw did. one? He did. No, Antoine oh, Randall threw he it to one. him. one. Antoine Randall threw it. Let's go Heinz Ward. All Let's right. Go Heinz Let's Ward. give Heinz a little love. Let's go Heinz Ward. Let's give some love to our former employee that you never actually worked with, but I did because I've been here <laughs> a hell of a long time. What's Heinz Ward got there? What's he got in the percentage? I, I can't quite see it. Berkey? But either- I can't see it. It's down at the bottom of the page. There's that There's that little magic uh, bar that takes us down uh, there Berkey, and tell us the percentage, 8.3. Please. Okay. 8.3%. That's good. That's good. I bet OBJ or AJ Brown would have been a lot higher. So that's it. That's we the dominated that thing today. And, you know, that photo of Jim Harbaugh, he just looks pissed in that photo. Like like what? you had just gone up to him and asked him a question he didn't want to answer, and he took off the microphone and said, say hi to your dad. Well, what photo does he not look pissed in? Just tell me that. I don't know. Is there one that is exists? Is he ever I'm not, not sure. pissed? <laughs> I know. Is I know. he ever? He <laughs> is the kind of person, and this is fine because I have these tendencies. He's only happy if he's pissed. Yeah, I, I understand that. I, I, I get that. You're right. There's, there's some people I know in my life that are like that as well. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, Mike, I'm, I'm actually announcing the first game of the year of Michigan, and uh, I'm looking very forward. I'm looking very, oh, you know, very much you're, forward you're, to that, working with Mike Tirico. And Harbaugh, uh, unfortunately, I don't think is going to be coaching that game. Oh, wait, isn't he? I, don't, I didn't know about that. I hadn't heard about that. He's going to be suspended. Tell me more. Yeah. Tell me more. I'm kidding. Oh, <laughs> you're <I'm> kidding. funny. <laughs> Boy, it would have been great. I would have asked permission to just kind of hang around for the production meeting when it was Jim Harbaugh and Chris Sims in the same room together <laughs> and bring Phil. You don't have to say, tell my dad I said hi. My dad's here, and my dad's going to kick your ass if you're mean to me. I would have loved that. All right, let's take a break. We'll wrap up this Tuesday edition of PFT Live right after this. So Kareem Hunt, free agent who has not had much interest throughout the entire offseason, the leading rusher in the National Football League as a rookie in 2017, the same year Alvin Kamara 
was a rookie in the National Football League. Hunt reportedly visiting the Saints now that Kamara is going to miss the first three games of the season due to a negotiated suspension arising from a violation of the personal conduct policy. You know, I I, I feel bad that we kind of whiffed on this yesterday. We're talking about their depth chart and what they're going to do. And teams are so wired to go next man up, especially at running back. We hadn't accounted for the possibility of bringing in a guy like Kareem Hunt. Now, look, it's only three games, so what do you do with him after that? And then you're going to have Kareem Hunt, Jamal Williams, and Alvin Kamara. Uh, I guess that's why we didn't think of it, and they haven't signed him yet. But still, a guy who's been waiting and waiting and waiting, getting an opportunity to go to New Orleans and show what he can do, Chris. Yeah, and I, you know, I think you know a guy that would fit the mold uh, more of what Alvin Kamara you know, would bring to the offense. Right there's not, there's not a guy on there right now. Jamal Williams, solid player, but not known for pass game stuff at all. You know, yesterday we talked about the the rookie Kendry Miller, right from TCU. He's got a little of that, but you know, and we've had these discussions all the time. You know, veteran quarterbacks, offensive coordinators have been around a long time. They don't trust rookies all the time in pass protection and passing situations. That's a learning experience, though, or to make run out and read a coverage and make the right appropriate adjustment off the coverage. That's where Kareem Hunt's going to come in handy. Kareem Hunt's made for that. Like you said, he was drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs. The first thing he jumped on the scene with us with was catching the ball out of the backfield from Alex Smith and the and the Chiefs and Andy Reid using him that way. So uh, he he's, I think, the best guy on the street right now that is available. And uh, not surprised to hear his name brought up as far as the Saints are concerned. It really does make you wonder what that depth chart will look like after Kamara comes back, if they would have Hunt and Jamal Williams and those other players. Somebody's getting the short straw out of that group. And, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Hunt, a third-round pick of the Chiefs in 2017, and that was the year where they had a much more eventful first-round pick. That was the year they traded up to get Patrick Mahomes. So, you know, it's funny, that first year – Hunt was the star. Mahomes didn't play until the very end of the season. Hunt led the league in rushing. You remember he had that rough start against the Patriots, right. the first game of the season, two fumbles, and they didn't give up on him. No, they did not. They didn't give up on right. him, and they, they kept plugging away and plugging away, and he had that big year. And then he was in the, the midst of kind of a not-as-great year, but he was still you know establishing himself as a great young running back in 2018 when the incident happened that came to light with the uh, – the personal conduct policy violation in Cleveland. And uh, remember what a big deal that was in, it was right after Thanksgiving day in 2018. Yeah, that was uh, a life changing moment for Kareem Hunt. I mean, he was, you know, looked at as one of the best running backs in football and everything was on the up and up. And, you know, ever since then, it's, it's kind of been, yeah, I'm a, I'm a backup. I'm, you know, I'm still good, but I'm not the main guy. And he's never really found that role to be the main guy ever. He goes here the first three weeks without Kamara. He's got a chance to be the main guy. And he shows what he has and plays really well. You know, I think there's a chance that when Kamara comes back, yeah, it'll be back to Kamara. But then he, maybe he has a chance to supplant a Jamal Williams as being the next guy in the rotation. That's for sure. I could see that happening if he, if he plays his absolute best. He played all 17 games last year for the Browns with no starts, and he had 123 carries for 468 yards. First time in his career he had an average per carry below four at 3.8. So remember there was talk that they were going to trade him. I yes. bet in hindsight the Browns wish they had traded right. him because they're not going to get a compensatory pick for him. 
because the window for that has closed over, right. because it's so late in the offseason. That's when a guy leaves before like the middle of May. So they don't get anything. They could have gotten something for the guy during what was a lost season of 2022. I am surprised still that they didn't trade him to somebody who may have been anxious to get some running back help. Yeah, I, I, I am too. You know, I am, but you know, I, I, I don't really know what their reasons were for, for not making that move because it's, it's something like Cleveland that like you talked about kind of pretty good at that position altogether. Uh, but here he is. He's on the street, and we'll see. I don't know. I can't imagine him demanding much money or, or anything significant that's going to like severely be a blow to the, the Saints' salary cap or anybody else out there. I do wonder if other teams maybe jump on in their interest at Kareem Hunt now too, knowing that the Saints maybe you know have him at the top of their list. I remember he got a decent contract with the Browns, right. but nothing spectacular after he kind of came back and proved himself. He had 800 yards plus his first full season in Cleveland. Nick Chubb was the guy who got paid. And that incident, that really did derail a career that would have had, I think, a second contract that would have paid him Definitely. a hell of a lot more than he's made in the NFL. We'll see if his career continues. And we are out of time for today. Thanks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.